are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job over the years has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the AM640 studios in Toronto, with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Wakey, wakey, Toronto. It is the Wolfman, the Wolf on Bay Street, here with Jack Hartle, AM640 Hi-Fi Radio. Good morning and thank you for tuning in. Uh, great lineup once again on Hi-Fi Radio. We are going to uh, start off in Boston, speak to Brian Reynolds. He's going to talk about what those pension funds are doing in America and why they matter so much. We're also going to talk about how much money Amazon borrowed this week. is a big, big number. Amazon continues to grow and expand and got to pay attention to what they're doing. We're then going to take a trip to London. Robert Jukes uh, across the pond is going to give us a global macro overview. Again, a lot happened this week from uh, terrorism in Barcelona, uh, nonsense in Charlottesville, uh, just, just ongoing uh, saga with, of course, North Korea. So a lot to cover on that front, and we are going to end it with a very in-depth real estate talk with the real estate king of Toronto, sorry, real estate lion of Toronto, Frank Leo the Lion in the studio to talk about what is going on with that crazy real estate market and how high can she go. Without further ado, close to Boston, Brian Reynolds, Canaccord Genuity's Asset allocator he's been on before we didn't get it all covered off so we had to bring him back brian i want to thank you very much this morning for joining us on hi Fire radio thanks for having me on so brian let's go back to the big picture here and again we we want to you're gonna you're, you're a very very sophisticated guy and you were talking about really high level stuff here so we have to continuously remind ourselves about the audience it's, it's early in the morning on saturday so we want to make sure that uh, we don't cause their fogginess to return we want to actually perk their minds a little bit here but it's important stuff um the the bull market is in place it's been a tough week uh perhaps geopolitically driven uh maybe there's something underneath the little sell-off you know the dow was down uh, almost 300 points uh on thursday uh not as bad on friday did a little better performance on friday but nonetheless it's been a bit of a weak month it's supposed to be weak in august historically speaking uh, so what do, you, what do you make of the weakness? Is it geopolitical? Is it real? Uh, what should we do with it? We're in the midst of the greatest bull market ever, but it's mixed in with some worries. And this, this week, we saw those global worries escalate, which means that it's a choppy time for this bull market. It has been throughout August. It may go on into September. But once we clear this choppiness, I think the bull market's going to resume. In terms of choppiness, uh, how high can the waves get? Well, it's hard to tell, but we do have some navigation aids. And some of the fear indices that we look at got a little panicky on Thursday afternoon, and that tells us that we're probably closer to the end of this pullback than we are to the beginning. That's unbelievable because, again, the Dow Jones uh, is off what from its peak? 500 points perhaps, which sounds like a big number. But you and I both know that's only about 2%. Uh, so you think this, this uh, adjustment at best in prices is uh, about 2%? That's about all we're going to get on the downside? It could go a little further. But again, I think we're closer to the end of it than to the beginning because the indicators we look at tells us we've already seen a lot of equity selling. We need to keep in mind that earlier in this bull market, there were bigger sell-offs. 
But now people have realized that those sell-offs are just that, sell-offs. And the buybacks that have supported this bull market tend to kick in sooner than they did in the earlier bigger pull-offs. You know, it's funny. I totally agree with you, and I see that, and I feel that. I talk to Jack about that all the time. It's amazing. This market is very, very resilient. So you're saying uh, the pullbacks are actually shallower and shorter because uh, people are becoming accustomed to pullbacks, and that the, the market basically just resumes its upward trajectory eventually. So uh, the trajectory upward resumes quicker now. Jack's got to pipe in here. Yeah, Brian, I was just uh, getting back to your point there. What what indicators are you looking at that give you uh, that much confidence that this bull market's going to continue after this choppiness uh, that we're seeing at the moment uh, after we get through that? Well, the number one indicator we look at is U.S. pension funds voting to put money into credit investments because that's what generates the buybacks. And in the last few weeks, we've seen a surge in the number of pension funds putting money to work in credit. In just the last five weeks or so, we've seen pensions put over nine, uh, allocate over nine billion more to credit. That's probably going to go to work at five times leverage. That means there's another 45 billion of buybacks coming to the stock market in the next six months or so. Let's talk about debt issuance this week because when you and I uh, spoke a couple of days ago, you you really um, uh, tweaked my interest. Uh, Amazon came to the debt market and went back to Wall Street. And Jack and I b- both believe that Amazon has a free a free ticket, a blank check from Wall Street. If, if if it asks for equity, Wall Street gives it to it. If it asks for debt, it gives it to it, and at very 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 favorable terms. But so you follow this stuff a lot closer than I do. Share with us, please, the, the type of debt issuance that has occurred recently, size and coupon and duration. Well, it covers all those bases. In terms of size, it's tremendous because Amazon borrowed $16 billion to acquire Whole Foods. But the bids on that deal were three times that size. There were $48 billion of bids for those $16 billion of corporate bonds. And what kind of That's coupons, what kind of interest payments were they paying on that $16 billion? I know they're tranches or seven tranches, but what was the highest coupon they were offering? It ranges from three years out to 40 years. So they Three to 40? Yeah. They hit the whole spectrum of maturities. All of them were very low yields compared to similar bonds of that issue. Yeah, and what was the and highest yield? Sorry? It was under 5%. Under 5%? Was that the, that was a 40-year paper? Yes. Unbelievable. Able to raise money for 40 years. Amazon, 40 years under 5%. Sure, there's no risk with that trade. Brian, you hang around for a sec, pal. We're going to pay some bills around here run some commercials. You know what I'm talking about. You're a New Yorker. You, you get commercials. Uh, stay tuned. I want to get deeper into this Amazon debt issuance story right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Good morning, Toronto. Thank you for tuning in to Hi-Fi Radio, AM 640. Uh, More than a feeling, Boston. Very appropriate for our guest, Brian Reynolds, who's just outside of Boston. And when Brian talks markets, it really is more than just a gut feeling. It's factual. So let's talk about some of those facts, Brian, um, in terms of debt. Amazon, raising $16 billion to acquire Whole Foods, able to get as much money as it wants, so much so, in fact, that the deal was, what, four or five times oversubscribed. It was five times the demand than there was for supply of the new issues, able to raise $16 billion for under 5%. Give me some other examples of some uh, incredible deals. I think you have one Apple able to raise some money this uh, this week. 
Apple can do money. Uh, Tesla raised some money, which is a battleground stock. It's a very low-rated company in terms of the debt markets. They were able to issue more debt than they were look, than they were looking for. And here's the big picture for this whole month. In terms of purchases of new corporate bonds, this is the second best August ever, and the month is barely half over. Wow. So, wow. So so things are hot in the, in the debt market and cooler in the equity market. But again, your belief is what's taking place is uh, as companies are able to issue more debt, they're using those funds. For what? They use it to buy back stock, and they do it opportunistically. So when equity investors get a little jittery, as they did last week, as they did this past week, the buybacks slow down because they're all outsourced to Wall Street trading desks. But once we see the equity selling hit a crescendo, and it looks like the panic is winding down, then the buyback desks ramp up the buybacks because they have to buy so much stock per quarter for their corporate clients. Uh, Brian, you, you pay a lot of attention to what institutions are doing. What what do you believe, in, and, and your finger on the pulse, in terms of retail? What's retail up to? Are they, are they buying equity? Are they buying debt? Are they selling America? Are they buying your... What, what, what's retail doing? Retail is churning. They're going from actively managed mutual funds into passively managed ETFs. And that causes a lot of sector rotation. It causes a lot of headaches for active managers. But net, net, it's not really helping the overall level of stock prices. Who's going to who's going to win this game in the next couple of years? Active managers or passive fund or passive ETFs? Well, it's going to be tough for active managers because the way that it works is as you put more money into an ETF, that money flows disproportionately to the stocks that are in the ETF. Mm-hmm. So unless the active managers shift to try and beat those indices. That's going to be a difficult, uh, difficult road to hope. Uh, Brian, just a, a quick question here. With these bond rates as, as low as they are, uh, interest rates, that is, um, what do you say to the bond bears out there expecting interest rates to, to rally? I hope so. I hope, I, I hope the interest rates go up. My worst, eventually this cycle will end. I don't think it ends for another three to five years. There's a number of ways it could end. My, I think the worst way it could end is with long yields declining from here. That means deflation would be picking up, and that's something we really don't know how to cope with. So my hope is that yields go up. And if you look at prior credit-led bull markets, the 1990s one, the one from 03 to 07, those were accompanied by rising yields. So What, what year is this, sorry? What year was that, Brian? The 1990s bull market, yeah. the one from 2003 to 2007, uh-huh. they had rising yields during those times. So you, know, you know, it's interesting, Brian. So, so, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt you here, Brian. I apologize. I'm a bit of a phone delay here, and I do sincerely apologize. Uh, but we have Frank Leo the Lion in here, and you, you don't know him, but Torontonians do. And he's a, he's, he's a real estate guru, a massive, massive real estate broker in Toronto, does tons of volume. And uh, I don't know how he feels about rising yields, but I know most homeowners are very, very concerned about rising yields. So, so your call is, you, you're hoping yields rise, uh, i.e. interest rates. Do you think interest rates are going to rise in Canada and in the United States, and in the next 12 to 18 months, how much? I hope they do, but I fear they won't. <laughs> and if they do go up, I don't think they won't go up very much, because the demand from our public pensions in the U.S. is so overwhelming. Keep his hands pressing the yields down. Yeah. I, I'm in your camp. Uh, lower for longer, yeah. Normalization at best of interest rates, but no runaway. Uh, how, how's the real estate market in, in, in the United States? It's ramping up. We're behind Canada. Uh, Canada's had a long lead on us. But one of the interesting things about U.S. pensions, not only are they going into corporate debt, they're also going into commercial real estate debt. 
because that's where they think they can get the highest returns. So I think the U.S. is going to be catching up to Canada. Uh, Brian, just looking at your um, uh, your real estate market there and talking about interest rates, um, where are we at uh, in the credit cycle versus, call it 2008, when things started to really shut down? Obviously, there, uh, there's lots of liquidity in the system right now, but um, how long can that actually go on for? Um, this is the opposite of 2008. Um, just as that was bad, this is strong. What causes it to reverse is the yield curve inversion. In other words, when long-term yields go below short-term yields, Two years after that happens, that usually triggers a crisis because it throws all this financial engineering into, into reverse. Right now, the curve is pretty normally sloped, which is why I think this takes another three to five years before it goes bad, because the positive slope encourages what we call shadow banking in the U.S. And, and what exactly is shadow banking for the, for the listener out there? That's non-bank lending. In other words, traditional banks taking deposits and make loans. Yep. Now, we have that up here in Canada. I know some people do some, a lot of private lending uh, for second and third mortgages to, to you know, less than qualified individuals. So you consider all that stuff uh, shadow banking. A steep yield curve encourages that, especially among U.S. pensions. And that's, what's driven, that's what helped drive the 1990s bull market. It helped drive the last bull market. It's helping to drive this one. When the curve inverts, that's when it all gets shifted into reverse. And two years later, you tend to have a financial crisis. Right. Well, look, if banks are going to lend money, they got to do it profitably, and they can only do it profitably if there's a steep yield curve. And that's just the, the, the cost of money across the series of time. So short-term interest rates should normally be lower than long interest rates, and that's a normal curve. You invert it, and all of a sudden you take short rates above long rates, and you put the economy into a recession. We don't want that. Uh, and according to your work and Dwyer's work, no recession in sight for a couple of years, so Hopefully, the work is correct, and it remains game on for a couple of years. We can all use a steady, eddy environment in this less than uh, unvolatile uh, world that we live in. Brian, a real pleasure. I want to thank you this morning for joining us. We're going to take a trip to London and speak to your cohort, um, Robert Jukes, right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. Man, Joe Walsh was so good, eh, on the guitar? Wow, what a, what, a, what, a, what a song. I love it. Who doesn't like that song? Appropriate, sort of. Well, yeah, totally. Uh, Robert Jukes in London dealing with Brexit. And I'm reading Robert's weekly note here. Check out your mind. Another tough week in equity markets, and we can't help thinking that it was only three weeks ago they were writing about markets hitting all-time highs. So check out your mind, but you can never leave, I guess. Hey, Robert Jukes. Global strategist, Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, joining us on air this Saturday morning, live from London. How are you, Robert? I'm very well, and a good morning to you. Well, thank you very kindly. So um, I went through your note, uh, Jack went through your note, and you're basically saying, it's okay. Uh, the market is not that expensive. It's not cheap anymore. Uh, but on a 30-year basis, the P-E ratio of the market is trading at what we call a turn below where it's at right now. The trailing P on, its, on the market is about 21. The 30-year average is about, I think you see, you're showing 19. So game on. Is that basically the uh, conclusion to the statement? 
I think that's probably fair, yeah. We, um, we had a look at uh, valuations again um, as a, uh, a response to the, the, the release of the Fed minutes. So there was some discussion at the July meeting at the Fed about um, uh, the equity market and whether or not it was overvalued. Yellen, I think, in the past has been very careful not to be drawn on that subject. She's not been uh, uh, wanted to. She's not wanted to pronounce on the equity market being uh, cheap or expensive. Uh, but they, they, that discussion was certainly had at the meeting, and uh, there were people on both sides, uh, as recorded in the minutes. So we, we decided to look at um, the market, the S and P, the trailing. Uh, P.E., the price earnings ratio. And, uh, yeah, if you look at it from, say, 1960, which was the, the, probably the longest uh, period of, um, of, of daily data that we can get um, uh, on the S&P mm-hmm. uh, with price earnings, its average is around about 17. Mm-hmm. And its current, as you said, is, is just over 21. It looks, it looks a little bit stretched, not massively, but a little bit stretched. Uh, if you look at it since 19... Uh, 87, the last 30 years, as you've said, it's it's much closer to to fair value. It's 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 trading at 19. So the average is 19 times, just over, uh, and again current at 21. So, so uh, why why look at the last 30 years rather than the full data set? Well, I think there's a, a number of reasons to think that um, mm-hmm. PEs are naturally higher in a low inflation environment. And that's really where we've been since 1987 yeah. with inflation targeting. So, you know, is it, is it overvalued? I don't really think so. Uh, I, I don't think it's uh, cheap either. Uh, and we don't make that case. But certainly there's scope for the market to go higher from here. But see, that's just it, Robert. This, this is what makes it interesting. Sorry to interrupt you there. Um, but uh, again, we have Frank Leo the Lion in here. He's, he's, he's Toronto's probably most prominent real estate uh, agent. Um, and he's, of course, dealing with what we think is an expensive asset class, uh, real estate. Um, and we're going to talk to him about that in a, in a few minutes. Uh, but again, real estate has become expensive because of cheap money. And so you're saying the same thing with the equity markets. Money became cheaper in the last 30 years, hence uh, a higher P.E. ratio than it was prior to. Is that basically the summation of it? Yes and no. I think if you're going to look at the, I mean, there's a number of different ways you can value the equity market. If you want to take account of bond yields, then you're probably looking at something more like a dividend discount model, and you're uh, discounting your future um, earnings from, from or, or dividends from, from companies or from the from the market, mm-hmm. and all other things being equal, lower interest rates raise the fair value of the market. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I'm, you know, it's not it's not axiomatic that that those two things go hand in hand. What we're doing with uh, the PE is a very quick shorthand to that. We're just dividing today's price by last year's earnings, and, and we're just noticing that it's it's kind of in line actually. The market's in line mm-hmm. with where it's been over the last thirty years. I mean, yes, low interest rates have uh, put a fall under markets. I'm not uh, uh, I'm not sure to the extent to which they've artificially inflated asset prices. They certainly have in some areas. And yeah, equity would be a prime candidate of that real estate, another. Um, but um, uh, it's, it's, we're really interested in, in working out the extent to which the market can go higher without 
stretching valuations to, to breaking point, and as we show in the in the net that we'll release uh, tomorrow. They, um, Robert, Robert I, I want to. Sorry, I want to ask you two questions here, if you don't mind. Um, number one, I want to talk to you about the, then the valuation of the markets in Europe. And I also want to talk to you about the real estate, because we have, frankly, the line in here, the real estate market in London. Uh, how's it performing in this environment? So you can do two questions for you, please. All right, sure. So valuations are certainly very, uh, are certainly cheaper in, in Europe than they are in, in the U.S. And Europe's been a, uh, a market that struggled uh, in, in the shadow of the U.S., and other developed markets through the through most of the recovery, they've had a number of structural issues to deal. No with. No doubt, yeah, it's lagged big time. And that's been, yeah, and that's. But been now, and now playing catch up. It's playing catch up, and they've got some pretty pretty steady growth coming through uh, on on top down basis, and they've got some some really good good quality top brand name companies. So yeah, there's no surprise that uh, there's some inflows into Europe now, and, and uh, the valuations are catching up. They're still. Still cheaper than the U.S. And look, if there's one currency that's um, outpaced the Canadian dollar uh, over the last couple of months, it's been the euro. So actually, for Canadian investors, yeah, I think Europe's a very, very attractive, um, a very attractive call. Mm-hmm. Well, Jack and I, have, we, we have a position there. Yeah, we are long there to some degree. And then, what about the real estate market in London? With Brexit and with the weakening pound, uh, London has been one of the most expensive markets in the world, if not the most expensive market, maybe next to Manhattan. If I'm not, if I'm not correct, eh? Yeah, I mean there aren't too many cities that rival London, uh, and it draws in a lot of um, a lot of foreign money. And all other things being equal, as the uh, the exchange rate depreciates, as sterling depreciates, you would normally think of, in sterling terms at least, the the real estate market in London appreciating, uh, and that just hasn't really happened uh, since Brexit, and that's because of the uncertainty that the people that really want to come into London and buy are those people predominantly that are working in the financial. Uh, the financial area in the city, uh, as we call it, and and that's um, it, it's not it's not at all clear that you want to base your next ten or twenty years uh, in London on, uh, on on what we know now about Brexit and whether you know there are all sorts of questions about whether banks get passporting rights and uh, it's it's just it's just way too inscrutable at the moment I think to make those those long term investment decisions and it's not surprising that um, individuals aren't making them and in fact neither are corporate investment levels are um, are flagging quite considerably here in London yeah. um, Robert in the UK. So sorry, Robert. Just in interest of time here, a lot of geopolitical uh, headlines uh, that we've been digesting over the last ten days, from Barcelona to Charlottesville, uh, of course, North Korea. So I want your perspective on how that has been affecting and will affect the markets on a go forward basis. Right after we pay some bills around here. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. I really want to listen to that whole song, but i got to do some business here, folks. Hi-Fi Radio, AM 640. Wolfgang Klein is your host, co-host Jack Hartle in the studio. And, of course, coming up after this hit is going to be Frank Leo the Lion. But we are in London with Robert Jukes. Uh, so, Robert, you are a global strategist. Uh, you know, the, the globe has been rattled in the last uh, eight, ten days. Uh, North Korea, uh, Barcelona, Charlottesville, 
Um, it's had a lot to digest, and Jack and I, our, our feeling on with the pulse on the market is markets actually held in remarkably well because a lot of excuses to knock it lower, uh, but it just seems to come right back. Well, what's your take? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think um, the the North Korea incident uh, last week was um, uh, was quite a test for the market, and uh, we were expecting our market stress indicator to notch up uh, a degree or two, but it didn't. Uh, and actually, uh, the U.S. dollar really didn't rally to the extent to which we thought it would. Yeah, surprising. And, and yields really didn't fall. So, so the kind of classic risk off was there, but not in any in any size. And I think uh, again, you know, the, the Charlottesville, it just shows that the U.S. has got a president that wants to um, uh, clutch defeat from the jaws of victory at any opportunity. And today, uh, and yesterday, sorry, Steve Bannon. Uh, you know, hoofed out of the uh, the White House by apparently mutual consent. Uh, you know, markets uh, you know, decided to rally a little bit on on, on that news. I mean, the, the markets there's very few, very thin volume. I think markets are just um, uh, treading water, but um, uh, the, the, the fundamentals remain 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 sound, and uh, the rest is just noise at the moment. It's just uh, pushing the market a little bit one way than the other. But uh, you know, as long as earnings are uh, holding up and you know, earnings growth uh, uh, double digits for 2017. It looks like 2018 is going to be uh, around about the same kind of double digit number. Uh, growth, inflation subdued. It doesn't look like um, central bankers are going to be rushing now to uh, to normalise policy. Uh, it's the environment where equities can go can go higher and um, it, it not necessarily uh, push out valuations, as we were saying earlier on. So, no, we're quite sanguine about equity markets, very sanguine. And, and, and as you said, impressed with the way in which they dealt with um, the, uh, the turmoil of the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Hey, Robert, it's Jack here. Uh, just getting uh, a little closer to home here for you. Uh, you know, the Barcelona terrorist attacks that we saw this week. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts there, uh, and specifically towards uh, those attacks and then the Brexit negotiations going forward? Is that going to make it more difficult for you guys to, to exit, and uh, especially with the hardliners looking at uh, restricting, uh, you know, movement of people and, uh, you know, uh, immigrants? So I think the terrorism is independent of, of Brexit. I don't think it will colour in any way one uh, one shape or the other. Um, I mean, of course, it's an awful, another awful incident, and we've had a number of those uh, just this year. But the last couple of years have been um, have been pretty tragic, tragic with some uh, yeah, some despicable uh, events. And uh, our thoughts go out to the, the people that have been affected there. As for Brexit, um, negotiations are still at a pretty early stage. It looks like the next serious sit-down meeting will be towards the end of the year. Um, but we've we've a number of white papers floating around. Um, some proposals to be put to the European Union from the UK. And it looks like uh, freedom of movement for Europeans will be, uh, certainly in some of these uh, newer white papers, will, will be relatively free. Uh, no visa access to the UK, for example, is one of the um, one of the things being talked about. And then the Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland border, so that would be the nearest uh, land border, or the only land border of the UK into Europe. Uh, well, again, be visa-free and checkpoint-free by the uh, by the looks of it. So, um, uh, with free movements of goods uh, as well. So, um, it, it, from what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, it, it very much looks like Brexit light. But um, yeah, the devil's in the detail, and we'll we'll see. I'm sure as we get closer to Christmas, but um, it, it's looking like a, a soft Brexit. As, as time goes on, hmm. and and how long would you expect them? I guess to uh, to take to negotiate that soft Brexit that you're expecting. Well, 
I'm sure that it'll go to the wire. So mm-hmm. they'll take the full um, uh, you know, 18 months that they've got left to, uh, to, to negotiate this. And then it's looking like we'll have some um, transitional arrangement as well. So that could be two years, uh, for example, uh, whereby um, we, we agree the terms in which we're leaving, but we'll take two years in order to implement hmm. uh, those changes. Hey, so, you know, it, it could be four years away, nearly. Wow. Hey, Robert, I want to bring this back home now because we got Frank Leo the Lion. He's our real estate guest for the day. Um, so in, in, in Canada, we, we, do, we do apartments, we do houses, we do condos. In London, you do flats. Right, a flat. So, so, so <laughs> <laughs> we do flats. You do flats. So, so, tell me something. What is a flat worth in London? Should I decide to uh, immigrate into your great country? <laughs> yeah, a thousand so square foot flat. flat in London. You can buy a flat for pretty much any price uh, you, you, you want, and I'm sure from a, a quarter of a million pounds up to um, ten million, uh, a flat is just um, <laughs> refers to. <laughs> Um, a dwelling space, all on one flat right. level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I guess condo is uh, from the Latin uh, condominium, so multiple occupancy, I think, or multiple owners. Uh, my Latin's not that good. But uh, so, so for once, uh, I think uh, you, you've taken the language and developed it into perhaps a, a more logical expression for uh, those dwellings than, uh, than we have. And I'm here. sort of like a Dr. Seuss. I make things okay. up. Um, but no, so, so <laughs> you, if you want a nice we'll call it a condominium, a, a two-bedroom uh, unit, uh, you know, what's that worth uh, in, in London, in a, in a decent neighborhood? So, okay, so I, I live in Kingston. So uh, I'm, I'm about 10 miles out of the, the center. It takes me about... 50 minutes to get into into the office every day. On How long? So you're 50? 50? 50? 50, yes. Uh, so, so where's that? Is that the equivalent? And by the, you, um, take, you take the tube. We do subways. You guys do tubes, right? Yeah, we do the tube. You do the yeah. tube, yeah. So we 50 do, minutes on the tube. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, you probably pay, about, for a two-bedroom place, you probably pay about a million pounds. So which is in Canadian dollars, Jack, about, is that 1.6, 1.8? It's Something around, that? Yeah, yeah, it's around yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I think it's one. I think the pound's one sixty American right now. Uh, yeah. So Canadian media, yeah, it's almost two. So yeah, you're close to two million loonies for. It's not a flat; it's a condo, uh, but you get to take the tube. Uh, Robert, good morning to you. Please go have some tea. No, it's too early for tea, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> go have some, go have some to toast you, and trim the edges. You don't like your crust, so you go do that. I want to thank you very kindly, as always, for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio. We're going to take it down to the streets because we all need a place to live. Frank Leo, the Lion, is going to tell us the state of the real estate market here in Toronto right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. In the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight. There it is. I've been waiting for that. Frank Leo the Lion in the house this morning. 
Wakey Wakey, Hi-Fi Radio, coming at you. Frank, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. It is an absolute pleasure, Frank. You sound nice and chipper this morning. Good. Thanks for coming in. Um, so you are Frank Leo the Lion. Um, I, I want to set the table this morning, set the breakfast table for you. I remember you back in 1990 on the Real Estate Channel. You remember, you know what I'm talking about, the real Absolutely. estate. Absolutely. It, it was a hilarious media because Torontonians alike paid a lot of attention to the real estate channel, Gleaming Hardwood Floors, frankly, of the lion, the dream team. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's hilarious. That was, it's that amazing. Was... And yet it went off air, that station, and real estate continued to propel higher. In fact, that station came on air, I think, just in the previous peak, and then the real estate market rolled over in the early 90s, and the station seemed to go by the way of the dodo. They bar. lost their uh, premier presence. They weren't in the lower uh, uh, numbers. There was uh, Channel 5, and so when it went up to uh, up 9, the, yeah, yeah. You, you lost it. But it was a great medium at the time, and, and because real estate is the foundation of wealth, it's a great place to uh, to, to start your investment uh, life. Now, Jack Hartle's uh, looking at me. His eyes are a little uh, phasey this morning, but more importantly, he doesn't know what I'm talking about. The reason being, well, he wasn't born then. Uh, Jack's you know, just a youngster here with us. You're dating us. You're dating us. <laughs> yes, Frank, Leo the Lion. A great brand, Frank, and uh, that's why we have you on the show this morning because uh, you, you've done such a remarkable job branding yourself, and truth be told, you know, I have an agent, a very, very good friend of mine, Doris, that takes good care of me, but when I think of it, uh, you know, standout uh, branded brokers, you are the man. You, you know, you got yourself with Three decades now under your belt, I guess, eh? It's been a long time, and you know you have to love what you do, and, and I do. Uh, I mean, fundamentally, real estate is is a business of marketing, and anyone who doesn't market is not doing the the job for the client. It's bringing that property in front of more buyers, more buyers' eyes, more attention, and that's how you get the biggest bang for your dollar. And when someone is uh, asking you to handle their typically largest investment, I take it seriously. But that's just it. So, so you, your your edge, you believe, is to. Uh, Put the product in front of more prospective buyers. So if I decide to list myself, how do I market? I don't know. Uh, and how many buyers am I going to actually put my product in front of? Against a guy like you, uh, you, you spend a little bit of money marketing, don't you? You know, marketing is what it's all about, and it does cost money. But, you know, how much money does it cost if someone doesn't market your property? I'll give you a great example. This is one that I use all the time, if I don't mind sharing it with no, you. No, that's okay. If someone had a painting, a Picasso, to sell, and they did it at a garage sale, they might be able to sell it. But what what price? Right. And if you had that same painting and it was offered to the you know largest audience of uh, art collectors in the world, do you think that they might get a little bit more? The difference would be millions. And in real estate, there's a lot of realtors out there, and I'm not blaming them all. There might be some very nice people out there, but if they're not marketing your property to the masses, how much money are you losing? So the big so Frank, the, I was say it's Jack here, Frank. Uh, hey just Jack. with the. Um, uh, obviously, the big burning question, the big elephant in the room uh, with the changes that have happened recently in Toronto and Ontario, uh, you've got boots on the ground. You're selling probably the most properties in Toronto. Uh, what are you seeing right now? You know what? It's actually not a bad thing. What happened in the first quarter of this year was uh, was crazy. It was un, un, unsubstantiated. I mean, it was people bidding on properties without really determining value. It was more an emotional decision. It has pivoted. It's more balanced. And that's actually better. We're still above last year's prices. So that's growth in, in value, but it's not as crazy as it was, and that's a good thing. Um, I saw some stats two days ago. Uh, house prices down 20%. Is it year over year or month to month? 
you know, I think it was year over year, and then and volume uh, down significantly. Be careful with stats. I mean, of the, course, the old saying is that you know, there's stats, there's stats, and then there's there's uh, statistics that, that you know that that's going to cause. Here's the, the line: that says statistics are like a bikini. What what they show you is interesting, and what they reveal is deadly. <laughs> that's better than what I had for sure. Um, you know, the sales volume has been down. I mean, this year there was such a such a flurry in the first quarter that um, the spring market was a little bit less than what it uh, was before. The 16 uh, uh, different uh, initiatives by the government to slow down the, the market, they weren't really that effective. They weren't really that, uh, but they did cause that uh, optimism to, to wane. So people are not afraid of, of property prices going so high they can't afford one, and they better buy right now. So they kind of step back a little bit. That's all that happened. And uh, the foreign buyers uh, tax on, on, on buying a property, that only applies to about 3 4% of the uh, actual buyers out there. So we still have that 95 96% of the uh, uh, buyers who are local, and the market is still healthy. I just had a property on Wednesday. I had uh, four offers on it in a week, and I got 55000 over the asking price. So it does still happen. It's not as as common because there's so, so much more choice. But the good thing about it is that the buyer today is actually getting the chance to look at the properties that they're buying and buying something that's better for themselves, that's more suitable. They're not just rushing in and buying something that's not going to be ideal for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you say, in our business, we call that price discovery. It's, it's when you, you know, match up a buyer with a seller and they actually have that good information on the product or the security that they're buying. Yeah, that price discovery phrase yours, Jack, is very, very powerful. Uh, it truly, truly is because when you when you no longer have price discovery, uh, the, you have the, the, an emotional decision, and you, and you make a bad decision typically. And so, I, I think what's happening right now in the real estate market is you're getting sellers who are looking at prices from three months ago, and they, that's what they're looking to get, and buyers who want prices from you know perceived to be coming down three months from now. So there's a gap there, but the gap is really in the mind as opposed to in the market. The market has adjusted a little bit and uh, it is very much uh, more quantifiable. It's rational and you can assess values and there's some really good deals out there. Now, Frank, you run commercials on AM640, don't you? I do. Let's see if we can't hear one right now. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. How's that working for you? Early in this morning, Saturday, Guns and Roses. Yes, the jungle as we all live in. The concrete jungle. Frank Lee the Lion in the studio to talk to us about our wonderful concrete jungle. Um, Frank, so I drive down Royal York Road. I see a bus board, a shelter ad yeah, uh, that has a handsome picture of you and says, if I don't sell your home, I will buy your home. Uh, please share. In our business, we can't do that. As, a, as, 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 a, as, a, as an investment advisor and a portfolio manager, I can't guarantee my clients that I'm going to buy a, a, a marketable security from them uh, if, if they want to unload it. So how, how are you able to do that? Well, listen, it, it, there's a reason for it. Um, you know, typically speaking, uh, real estate is a large asset and most people, you know, start off and, and they move multiple times in their lifetime. And so when you're moving to a larger property, you have another property that you need to sell to 
get that money to put on the new purchase. Mm-hmm. And so if they don't sell that property, what happens? They can't make the move. So I, you know, I want to help people not get stuck with two properties. And if they buy with me, I'm going to tell them, look, don't worry about your property. If we can't get that price that we guarantee it at or more, I will buy it for that price. And they have no headaches. And that's a very good, uh, safe way to make the move. So you predetermine the price with the client? Absolutely. Is that the listing price or is that a price below the listing? No, perhaps? we're talking about a price that I will guarantee the property for. I mean, uh, I, I the, the idea here is not for me to buy properties. I, I, I do buy properties. I have bought, but it's me to give them the, the assurance. Well, you know what they're getting, Frank? They're getting a put option. That's what that Absolutely. is. It's a put option where they can put their property to you if they can't sell it. Absolutely. So you're, you're, you're giving them an option. That's well, I'm giving, I'm giving them security because, I mean, they need to make this move. And buying a property is no small endeavor. If if you don't have your property sold, the banks won't give you the money. Yeah, we get, no, Jack and I get those phone calls for some bridge finance. I get them all the time from All the clients. time. I bought a house. I sold my house. There's a 30 Not my bri- clients, though, right? Never Frank's clients. <laughs> there no, you go. That's what I want to meet so, you. So, Frank, in this market that we've had, this little downturn or this soft patch that we've had here in Toronto, did any uh, real estate get put to you? I, I, over the years, I've bought in properties all the time. So, I mean, you know, I'll buy eight to 10 a, a year. But keep in mind that I don't keep the properties. I mean, I'll close it and then continue to offer for sale. And if I take a little bit of a hit, the client even appreciates it more. They tell all their friends. And, you know, I get busier. It's a good thing. You can't lose. Good for you. I like that. That's very noble of you. I think that's why you, part of the reason why you're so successful. You know, when you're making a move, we're not talking about strictly an asset. I mean, I love the investment part of real estate. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a big part of it. But these are families who are moving. They have children. They have schooling. They have a lot of things going on. And some people, they can't handle the stress of, 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 of this turmoil that's happening out there. And so, you know, I get calls all the time, people saying, you know, I need help. And I feel very badly that they're given the information that's incorrect about their current property, and they buy based on an a perceived value that's not there. That can't happen when you have a family. Um, look, debt service is affordable. Low interest rates, we can afford our mortgages today, without question. And we had a number of strategists on this morning, uh, both basically saying rates may rise, but they're not going to run away. So we're going to continue to be able to afford our real estate. But debt to income is at nosebleed levels, the same levels it was prior to the real estate crash in America. It's at 165%. That is a massive, massive amount of debt. So the risk is certainly elevated. If one of those dual income earners loses their job, they're put at risk. And if interest rates run away, they're at risk. Um, we have seen some softening in the marketplace. Um, in your opinion, because again, the stock market's always on. And even when it's off, it's on because there's, there's, there's international markets, there's extended trading. So I can get a very accurate gauge of what my client's assets are worth at any given point in time. Your market's a little bit more opaque. Uh, so do, do you believe prices have corrected? If so, how much? And bigger question, are we going to go into a bear market? I think I know your answer, but I'm hoping for a bear market in real estate, believe it or not, sort of. You know, uh, a lot of this this movement in real estate prices has been strictly interest rates because the, the, the average pay has not really changed over the years. So as a result, uh, interest rates have caused more affordability and higher prices. That being said, if you're buying and selling, then it really doesn't matter because you get less for your home, you pay less, you get more for your home, you pay more. It balances out. I mean, what we don't need is, is a shock to the system where jobs are hurt or or interest rates spike. And those things are not looking like they're going to be coming in the near future. But people, so, you're hearing of people walking away from deals right now. They're, they're but, making headlines. They're walking, away from the depo- they're, they're, they're walking away from the deposit. Some things, and, and, and legally, you can't do You can no. do what you want, but First you, you, of can all, be, you can be certainly sued if you walk away from a deposit. No one can walk away from a binding contract without being sued, and that's a big problem. I mean, some issues are there. People are trying to do that. I've heard that it has happened. Also, the banks are at fault. 
What the banks have done, and I'll tell you some, some banks, banks don't lose money, and the reason is they're very smart. So if a property sold in, in March, for example, and it sold for you know $1.3 million, the bank will go in and appraise the property a week before the closing in July or in August. And so now it doesn't appraise at 1.3, it's at 1.1 because the market shifted a little mm-hmm. bit. And it's not a bad price for now, but it, it wasn't the same price. As, and they are only going to qualify you based on 1.1. Now, now you have problem. to make up the $200,000 difference. So it's not that people are walking away. It's the banks are putting people in a position sometimes. And it's a matter of working it out. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, is that they also sold for a higher price. So, I mean, it balances out. There is, you know, people are making money. They're selling their property at a higher price, but they're buying at a higher price. Frank, look, in interest of time, I want to ask you a question. Do you have children? Of course. You have great. Have great. <laughs> uh, how many kids? I have two children. Do you, and how old? Uh, 21 and 18. 18, 21. How do you know, you're a very successful guy, but how do you feel, I'm going to keep it tight, how do you feel about their prospects for home ownership in this marketplace? Because again, they're, they're millennials and they're going to be turning 30 at some point when the household formation kicks in. That's a big part of our strategy here because household formation and millennials are going to drive the economy on a go-forward basis, but affordability uh, continues to come into play. How do you feel about your kids' affordability you know, aspect? Our parents were concerned about us, and we're going to be concerned about our children, but I know that they're going to do fine because, you know, the market has a way of correcting itself. I, I hate when the government interferes because the market will dictate uh, what is supply, what's demand, and what prices are. So my kids are going to be fine. Your kids are going to be fine. It's just that they can't run. They're going to walk first before they run. I, I need some Bob Marley. Don't worry. Be happy. Every little thing is going to be all right. Hi-Fi Radio, AM640. Folks, thank you for joining in. Brothers and sisters, I wish you a wonderful weekend. Jack Hartle was back two weeks in a row for that man. When is he going to go away on me again? Anyone's guess. All the best, and thank you. Listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640Toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.